their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more food than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go out and buy for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Hands up, don't be afraid. Every hand, I think, at least shifted. Everyone's come down, I can put my hand up to you high. Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain that we, um, if I ask anyone in the room to come up here and stand at this microphone, that you could probably tell that story pretty, pretty precisely, right? Um, in fact, why don't we... No, I'm just joking. I'm not going to have you do that. You imagine. Um, uh, the reason this is so uh, well-known is because uh, this is... Um, Jesus' most famous miracle um, that, he, that he did. Um, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. Um, everyone knows it, um, and it's incredible. It's, it's, it's an absolutely amazing story. There's a, there's a number of angles that we can approach this story. Um, we can look at it from the perspective of the crowds who come to Jesus and uh, what he does for them. Uh, we can approach it from the perspective of the disciples of Jesus and, and, and their part that they played in it and the lessons that we learned. Um, there, there's, there's lessons from both of those perspectives, and we're, we're going to receive a little bit from both of those things. Um, but as always, our main goal is to see Jesus, right? We want to, to put him at the focus. Uh, who is Jesus? That's the question that we always want to ask. Um, and really to, to grasp the full meaning of the story, you really have to, to look at it within the context that, that Luke has been unfolding for his readers. Um, so over the past eight chapters, one of the main things that we've seen is that all power and authority belongs to Jesus. Um, he's, he's cleansing lepers, he's healing paralytics, he's raising people from the dead, He's controlling the weather with his words. He's forgiving sins, which is something that the, the normal person doesn't do. Um, he's, he's healing sicknesses. He's casting out demons. He's preaching about the kingdom of God with a kind of authority that the people have never seen or experienced before. Uh, Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, and he's come to earth to bring his kingdom to the people. 
Um, and he, he ushers in this heavenly kingdom on earth, and he's, he's seeking and he's saving the lost. He's seeking out the marginalized. He's seeking out the, the hopeless, um, the, the, the people who've just come to an end in themselves, and he's introducing them and inviting them into his kingdom. All power and authority belong to Jesus, but we've also seen, we saw last week, that that the power and authority is also given by Jesus. So he doesn't come just to accumulate more and more power, he comes to release it. And last week we saw him call 12 of his disciples, and he he sends them out with power and authority to, to join him in the advancement of his kingdom. And they go out with his power, and they preach the kingdom, and they heal those who are sick. Right? He, he equips those whom he calls with his power. And he's essentially been bringing along his apprentices, and he's preparing them, isn't he? He's, he's showing them who he is. He's showing them what he's capable of, and they've been watching him, and they've been learning. And just over the past couple of chapters, you can really boil down all of Jesus' interactions with his disciples to this single question. And that question is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? I, I'm showing you that all power and authority belong to me. I'm showing you that I, that I release this power. Will you trust me? Last week, the section, he sends them out with his power. And the core of what he, he tells them, that the main lesson that we saw him give them as they go is, I am all that you need. Or to say it differently, everything that you'll need in life, everything that you need on this mission that I'm sending you, on is found in me. Uh, so he says to them, take nothing for your journey. Don't, don't bring a bag, don't bring any money, don't bring any bread. And um, for this journey, don't take anything because I want you to depend on me. I, I want you to, to learn that I am going to give you all that you need. I am your provider. He's asking them, will you trust me? Total dependence on Jesus is required. Um, and it seems that that Luke, he knows that that is going to be hard, right? He knows that that's going to be a difficult thing to believe. Uh, learning total dependence on Jesus, it's, it's, it's so important, it's so crucial that he then goes into this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Immediately after he tells uh, about Jesus sending his apostles out uh, and they are to rely totally on God to provide for their needs, he then tells this story of Jesus providing in a miraculously huge way. Jesus is the provider of our needs. And so he drives that point home again. He wants us to understand that. He wants you to hear Jesus asking, will you trust me to be all that you need? And in in John's account of this story, um, immediately after Jesus feeds the 5,000, John gives us this interpretive key to actually understanding that miracle. Um, He tells us that after Jesus feeds this massive crowd, uh, they continue to follow him. In fact, they, they get in their boats and they, they chase Jesus across the sea and they find him. And, and, and Jesus says, once they come to him again, he says, listen, I know why you're coming to me. Um, you're coming because I, I filled your bellies. You, you, you ate your fill and bread. And he tells them, hey, hey, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life. And he tells them that, that he is that food and you won't find that in any, 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 uh, any shop, any, any, any bakery. He is the food. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me shall not thirst. 
So again, he, he's, what he's doing when he says that is he's, he's calling them to trust him. He, he's inviting us to be fully satisfied in him alone. All the other ways that you are looking for satisfaction, for everyone in this room, all, all the ways, we, we, may it be in your jobs, or may it be in a relationship, or may it be just in sex, or in some other way of escaping reality and the pain of this world, Jesus says, you will not find true life there. You can try, but you won't find it. You won't find lasting satisfaction. You will not find real lasting joy in anywhere or in anyone except in me. I am the bread of life. He says, come to me and you'll never hunger. You'll never be thirsty. I'll satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. He's asking, will you trust me? Will you depend on me? Will you be satisfied in me? And Luke beautifully tells this story that, that drives that question deeper and deeper into our hearts. Let me pray one more time and we'll look at the passage. And Lord, Psalm 129 talks about your voice and it says that your voice thunders. It says your voice is, is uh, powerful. Your voice is full of majesty um, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? And we gather to, to hear you, to receive from you. Um, so would you use um, what I've put together? It's weak. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not profound, but you use weak things to do powerful things. So would you speak to us this morning, Lord? Um, Spirit, be present, be active. Let us see Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Look at the scripture. Uh, verse 10 says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. So where are they returning from? They're, they're, they're back from the mission that Jesus had just sent them on that we looked at last week. right? When he sends them out with power uh, to, to proclaim the kingdom, to, to heal. And, and verse 10 essentially fast forwards to them returning from that journey. Uh, we're not told how long they were away. Uh, probably weeks, maybe months um, but here they are returning to Jesus, and they're telling him all that they had done. Um, I love this scene. Uh, I wonder what that time of reporting back to Jesus would have been like. Is he proud of them? Um, are, are, they, are they sitting around a fire, uh, sharing a drink, sharing a meal? They're, they're, they're going around the group, kind of just telling one by one the, their, their, the story of their journeys, all the details of what they have done uh, there's, there's probably moments of laughter, isn't there? That they're sharing all of the, 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 the funny things that happened along the way. Uh, maybe the times when they said the wrong thing. Uh, maybe the embarrassing moments. Uh, that, that awkward moment with that, that guy that we met along the road with a donkey. Remember that? And they all laugh. And it might have been tears, right? As they recalled the, their times of rejection that Jesus had prepared them for. Uh, maybe that, the, the moments when they were kicked out of a house or told to, to leave a town at times when they were rejected. Uh, maybe, maybe they're recalling the, the, the times that the miraculous things happened, right? Hey, remember that time that we, we had, had laid our hands on that, on that man and, and his, his fever left? Like you could feel his body uh, get cooler and cooler and you could see him catch his breath again. Um, remember that scary moment when we were invited into that darkened home 
And that, that woman was tormented with that demon and we joined together and we, we commanded him to come out of her, right? And the experience of, of sitting there and with the family and they, they opened the drapes again and, and they rejoiced and then we shared the gospel with them. And we don't know the, all the stories, but they're, they're sharing with Jesus all of the details of that journey that they've returned from. It's this time of togetherness that they're enjoying with Jesus. And I've, I've read and, and listened to a variety of commentators on this passage, and it's interesting how sometimes we can portray what's going on here. And you'll sometimes hear people say, well, they returned and they told Jesus all that they had done, so they're returning a little puffed up um, they're, they're with this power that they've been welding. I just think sometimes we can, we can kind of portray and project a little negatively onto the disciples, um, and I want to resist doing that. I think the older I get, the more I... I'm kind of tender-hearted towards them. I'm like, I mean, you guys are doing a good job. Um, I, it's just easy to project negatively. We can even project frustration onto Jesus. Like he just rolls his eyes at his disciples as they brag about what they've done. Don't do that, okay? Just don't do it. Um, don't, don't, if it's not in the text, don't force it in there. Let, let's read and see Jesus in these stories in the way that he is presented in the Bible, right? Who is Jesus? He's, he's gentle and lowly in heart, right? He loves these guys. He, he cares for them. He's probably proud of them, right? This is the first time they've been out on their own. He's listening to their stories. He's laughing with them. He's crying with them. He sent them on the mission and they're back. I just love the scene and how they're coming back to Jesus and they're, they're sharing all that happened. But keep reading in verse 10 and we're told and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. That word withdrew, it means to retire or retreat. Right? So after hearing all that they had done on their journey, Jesus says, come on, guys. Let's, let's get away. They, he, he takes them off on a retreat. They, they withdraw. They retire to this little fishing town by the sea. Why does he do that? Because he knows what they need. Right? They've just returned from this week's, maybe months-long journey of, of preaching and healing and, and, and pouring out. They're caring for people. And Jesus, he knows what their tired bodies and their souls need, which is rest with him. It's interesting, isn't it? Even after these guys having the power and the authority of Jesus, they still need rest. Jesus is not calling his disciples. He's not, he's not calling us today to, to grind and grind and grind. He's calling his disciples to trust him. And often that will, that will look like going out and doing with his power, right? But often it'll look like resting with him. We're, we're, th th this will remind them that, that they don't go out on their own power, but under his. They, they need what God gives them. Um, and Jesus himself exemplifies this in his own life, doesn't he? That, that, our, that our doing for God should never outpace our being with him, our, our dependence on him. Um, is the doing important? Yes, right? Jesus sent his disciples to go and do. Jesus came to, to do. But even Jesus, he never let his doing for God outpace his being with his father. No one did more than Jesus, but you also see him, he's constantly practicing what he's inviting his disciples to do here, withdrawing to be with God, to, to find rest in God. Nearly every time you see Jesus perform 
a, a, a miracle and do. You also see him retreat to a desolate place for prayer and for time with his father. Because even Jesus, right, he didn't find his own identity within himself, he, he, but within his father, right? Even Jesus is the one who, who gives and supplies us with power. He only gives and he he only gives us what he receives from his father. It's John 17. Paul Miller says Jesus was the most dependent person to ever live. You ever think of Jesus in that way? You can think of him as the most powerful person to ever live or the most kind, the most sacrificial, but he's the most dependent person that ever lived. Because even he is the one with all power and authority. Even for him, his entire sense of self is not self-reliant, not self-centered. Jesus has no separate sense of self. He has no identity crisis, no angst. And consequently, he doesn't try to find himself. He knows himself only in relationship with his father. He can't conceive of a relationship outside of that. Jesus is fully dependent on the father, and so he's constantly exemplifying for us and inviting us, his busy disciples, that it's okay to stop. It's okay to rest in him. And so he says to them, let's get away, rest and be with me. The plan doesn't really work out. So verse 11 says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And that happens sometimes, doesn't it? You ever try to, hey, have some rest planned, and then it's interrupted by someone that's short or big or gets in the way, right? And that happens to me all the time, and I often react with frustration or disappointment. Um, look how Jesus reacts, though. He, d- he doesn't ra- react with frustration, right? Here come the people again. They're so needy, always looking for Jesus. How does he respond? See who Jesus is. He doesn't get frustrated. He welcomes them. He, he receives them. He's, he's happy they are there. Jesus is never frustrated with those who chase him down, who those who want to get near him. He always welcomes them, right? This was meant to be a time with my guys for a bit of rest, but so be it. Come near. And he welcomes them, and he spoke to them the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing, right? He, he, he does what he's come to do, this ministry of word and deed. He, he tells them about the kingdom of God, that it's arrived, that he is bringing it, that they are invited, they're invited into it, and he's also healing them. He's caring for their needs, Jesus is the balm for their broken hearts and lives. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? Like right here, you see Jesus fully on display. You see the heart of Jesus. He's, he's caring for everyone around him. He's, he's caring for his disciples. At least he's trying to get these guys a little bit of rest. He's caring for the crowd who come to him, right? You see the, the big, tender, gentle, and lowly, compassionate heart of Jesus fully on display, Verse 11, it's in a very real, tangible, beautiful sense, it's the kingdom of God breaking in. It's, it's flashing brightly here. This is what Jesus has come for, hurting people, searching for hope, coming to him, him welcoming them, and then speaking and showing them the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful day. I wonder if someday Jesus will... Let me in on the stories. Let me in on the details of this day. 
Luke gives us a verse. I want a, I want a whole day. I want, to, I want to hear it all. I want to hear the stories of the healing and the mending that day, right? The parents who, who bring their, their sick kids to Jesus and he heals them and they go away with hope. The lonely people coming to Jesus but going away feeling seen and, and welcomed and known. Maybe a marriage that was really on the rocks, but after the couple got some time with Jesus, they go away with strength and, and, and a renewed commitment to their marriage. All day long, Jesus is seeing people in the crowd. He's giving them his good news that he's come to offer. It's one of the best days ever recorded. Have you ever read it in that way? This is one of the best days ever recorded on earth. It's a, it's a taste of heaven. But in verse 12, as with any great story, there's a problem. It says, now as the day began to wear away, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions, for we are in a desolate place. And we'll learn in a couple verses the size of the crowd. We're told that there's 5,000 men, so if you include at least some women and, and some children, you're probably looking at a crowd of 10,000 plus people. It's, it's a huge crowd of people. For, for some of these disciples, maybe all of them, th this might be the largest uh, crowd of people they've ever seen in their lives. That's capacity of kind of SSE arena. It's huge. And it's getting late, and they're out in the middle of nowhere, right? There's no food trucks. There's no concession stands. These people need to eat. That's a problem. And the disciples' solution to the problem is what? send them away. There, there, there's an obvious kind of juxtaposition between Jesus welcoming them and the disciples sending them away. Uh, but, but again, let's resist the temptation of just kind of slapping the how stupid can you be label on the disciples because what they're suggesting is reasonable, isn't it? And they're probably suggesting it out of care for these people. They, they see a need. They're, they're, they're going to get hungry. They're going to need a place to stay. Here's a solution. 10,000 people in the middle of nowhere, how will they eat? Well, why don't we send them to go get some food? That's reasonable. It's probably a solution I would come up with, right? Jesus, this day has been great. It's going really well. But maybe we should, maybe we should start to wrap it up so these people can go and find somewhere to stay and get something to eat. There's some irony here, right? Because in the previous section, Jesus had sent them out with power and authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. But this situation's big. They've even seen Jesus do some miraculous things. They've seen him heal people and, 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 and even raise people from the dead in kind of individual situations, but they've not seen anything on this scale yet. This is thousands of people this is beyond their imagination of what God is capable of. And so they kind of revert back away from supernatural solutions to natural solutions, to, to a reasonable solution. And they suggest Jesus send them away so they can find food, so that they can get help for their need. It's almost like they don't even consider that Jesus can meet this massive crowd's needs. It's, it's too big to even consider that. So their faith shrinks back completely, and they suggest an earthly, natural, reasonable solution. 
And again, resist projecting frustration and impatience on Jesus okay, as he deals with the faithlessness of his guys once again. Right? He doesn't turn around and say, you idiots, like, I, have you not been paying attention? Did you not just come back and tell me all that you've done with this power that I've given you? No, he, he calmly and he patiently uses this as another opportunity to teach them. He doesn't rebuke them. Instead, in verse 13, he says, you give them something to eat. I, I, think, I think he is genuinely trying to tease out their faith. Right? He's, he's trying to encourage their faith. In the previous section, he gave them power and authority to do his work. I think he's genuinely saying, I've, I've shown you that I'll empower you. Right? I've, I've shown you that I'll provide if you trust me. Will you trust me now to feed these people? He's not asking them to dig down deeper right? and, and to, to muster up their own power and to give them something of themselves. It's not what he's asking. No, he's, he, he, he didn't do that in the previous section. He sends them out with his power, with his provision. And that's exactly what he's going to do here again today. But they falter in their faith. They're not thinking about what Jesus is capable of. They are stuck in the reasonable. Right? They say, well, we don't have enough to feed everyone. We have five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. There's 10,000 people here. It's almost as if it's such a big project that they can't fathom that the power that is available to them is enough. They're not considering the realm of Jesus' supernatural power and possibilities. They are stuck in the natural. They can only think of reasonable solutions. Hey, we can go and buy food for the people. There's thousands of them. That's not a possibility. And so verse 15, what does Jesus do? Does he yell at them? Does he scold them? No. He looks at his guys and he says, all right, here's what, here's what we'll do. Why don't you have them sit down in groups of 50 and I'll show you. He, he gently and patiently says, let me show you again. You, you, they're not going to sit here. They're, they're not just going to watch this time. You're going to be involved, but I'm going to work through you. But let me show you again who I am. And in, in a couple verses, we see clearly who Jesus is, and it's incredible. Look at him. He, he tells his disciples to have the people sit down in groups of 50. Verse 15 says they obey, and they, they do what he tells them to do. Okay, they had them all sit down, and then closely look at what Jesus does in verse 16 and 17. It says, and, and taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. What was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. See Jesus here, friends. His heart is fully on display as much as his power and authority is. And just with the remaining time here, um, here's three things that we see about Jesus. Um, firstly, we see that he provides for all those who come to him. He provides for those who come to him. That's probably the, the, the plainest um, thing that we see in the story. These people, they come to Jesus, they follow him, he welcomes them, he speaks the kingdom of God to them. Don't miss that in verse 11. 
He speaks the kingdom of God to them. When God speaks, powerful things happen. That's the first lesson that we learned in the Bible in Genesis 1. When God speaks, universes are put into order out of nothing. When Jesus, who is God in the flesh, speaks, powerful things happen. And Jesus, he speaks the kingdom of God to them. I, I, I can't help but wonder if there's something special about this instance of him sharing the kingdom of God. Like almost always, when Jesus shares the kingdom, it says he preaches it, right? He, he proclaims it. But here, Luke says, he speaks it. That there's something special about the kingdom breaking in right here. They come to him and he, he welcomes them and he speaks the kingdom to them and the kingdom breaks in in tangible ways as he heals their physical, temporal needs. Right? And when the entire crowd of thousands eventually share the exact same need, which is hunger, right? They all need food. But Jesus provides that. He, he provides for those who come to him. Again, it's one of the most beautiful days ever recorded. The, the, the people come to Jesus and they experience a, a glimmer of heaven. There's actually a, um, a glorious scene that Isaiah prophesied uh, back in Isaiah 25. Um, it's on the screen, but the title given to this prophecy, at least in the ESV, is God will swallow up death forever. Isn't that the best title you've ever heard? God will swallow up death forever. I challenge you, go read Isaiah 25 slowly this week sometime and, and, and let your heart not be just yearning for heaven. You won't be able to do it. And let me read you a couple verses from that. It says, he's prophesying, he's looking forward and he says, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. It's the best meal ever. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all his people, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. That's amazing. Isaiah, he is fixing our eyes on heaven, right? He's giving us this glimpse, ultimately, of the, the, the last meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? That, that glorious wedding feast when the church is presented as the, the perfect, blameless, spotless bride to the bridegroom Jesus in Revelation. But, but even here in Luke chapter 9, it, it's, it's meant to be a, a continuation of that, of that foreshadow, right? L Luke 9 is this scene that gives us a glimmer of heaven, right? They come to Jesus, he welcomes them, and then at least for a day, just as a snapshot, just as a, a, a taste, he swallows up death for them. He gets rid of the, the covering that is cast over the peoples. He heals them. He wipes away the tears from their faces, and they enjoy the satisfaction there with a meal with Jesus, for he has spoken. It's an incredible foreshadow. It's this glimmer of heaven. 
do these people leave and get sick again? Yes. Do they, do they eventually all die? Yes. Does, do their lives get hard? Yes. Like even for us, hardships are promised. But right here, we get a glimmer, we get a snapshot of what life is like when we come to Jesus. He provides for those who come to him. Have you come to Jesus? Have you gone to him? He's the bread of life. He, he will satisfy you. Let him, let him satisfy you. Let him heal you. Let him take away your worries. Let him swallow up death for you. Did you notice the crowds of thousands? They don't seem too bothered or worried about where the next meal will come from. Why? Because they just want to be near Jesus. They, 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 just, they just want Jesus. Hey, be like the crowds. Go to Jesus, friend. Trust in Jesus. Be satisfied in Jesus. He provides for those who come to him. The second thing we see about Jesus is he provides through his disciples' obedience. So it's almost like he's, he's reiterating the points that he made last week, right? Rely on Christ. Trust on him to provide. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. Again, here in this scene, the disciples have, have, they have no power of their own to help these people. They, they need the power of Jesus to do this. Without faith in Jesus, yes, this is impossible, but with him, everything's on the table. They just need to trust him to provide and to empower. And so, he, so when he teaches them that lesson again, he doesn't just do it himself. Although he is the one doing it, it's his power, he works through the obedience of his disciples. Jesus ministers to the crowd through his disciples. They will do great things through his enabling power. Did you see that pattern through verses 14 to 17? It's on the screen. Verse 14, Jesus commands, right? Have them sit down in groups of 50. Verse 15, the disciples obey. They, they did so. Verse 16, Jesus releases his power Continuing in verse 16, he then gives the bread to his disciples to give to the crowds. And verse 17, the crowd eats until they are full. The, 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 the power train goes like this. Jesus releases his power. He gives it to his disciples, and they minister to the crowd. Jesus, power, disciples, crowd. And that's the same pattern for us today. We have no power of our own. We have nothing to give. We only have to give what we receive from Jesus. Which shows us the importance of, back in verse 10, right? Of, of getting away with Jesus, abiding with Jesus, receiving from Jesus, right? Because a glass can only spill what it contains. You, you are not called to give and give and give and give without receiving from Jesus. Because we can only give from what we receive from him. Jesus provides for these people, but he provides through his disciples' obedience, the enabling power of Jesus. And it's the exact same for us today. We are the body of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. You, you are saints out there as the cutting edge of the kingdom, but you need his enabling power. So rely on Christ. Receive from Christ. Walk in obedience with Christ. Incredible things happen when we do. Um, the third and last thing this shows us about Jesus is he provides 
in abundance. Verse 17 is incredible, isn't it? They ate and were satisfied. They ate and were satisfied. We're not told how Jesus multiplied the food. It's kind of behind his back. Was it like, I don't, it doesn't matter. The how doesn't matter. What's important is the result of the miracle. They all ate and were satisfied. They, they had all they wanted. They, they were filled. They were fully satisfied. Right, Jesus is the one whose ability to supply every need is unlimited. There are 12 baskets of leftovers. Like his resources weren't even close to being exhausted. He provides in abundance. And you know, an important step in, in increasing in faith, in gaining faith, is when you come to the realization of who God is and who you are. Until you do that, you will never get more faith. It's a realization of who God is and who you are. And God is the God of abundance, right? His glories have no end. He has all power and authority. That's who God is. And we, we see and receive God fully in Jesus, right? We, on the other hand, are needy, right? We, we have a hunger. We have a thirst. Everyone in this room has a hunger that you are seeking to satisfy. It's interesting, isn't it, that all through the Bible, food and feasting and eating and drinking, they're used as spiritual metaphors, right? Spiritual blessings are described in terms of physical food, and, and we are meant to make that connection in this story. It's, it's why Jesus calls himself the bread of life, right? It's why he even demands that we feast on him if we want to be his disciples. When, when we see Jesus providing bread for this crowd, we should be alerted to the fact that there's a deeper truth being illustrated, right? Jesus has come with his abundant provision not to just fill their bellies, but to satisfy the spiritual hunger that abounds in your heart. Our souls, they long for the peace and the meaning and the purpose that can only come from knowing God and being known by Him. And in the absence of those things, we tend to look for that and a number of things, for that deep soul satisfaction, don't we? We look everywhere. In success, in money, entertainment, relationships, sex, family, even religious performance. All of those things can be amazing in their proper order, right? But none of them can bear the weight of your soul's desire. None of them can satisfy the hunger of your heart. Like a thirsty man drinking seawater, the more we consume of those things to quench our soul's longing, the worse our problems become. The problem, it's not primarily our desire for satisfaction. God made you that way. He created you with that thirst, that hunger. The problem is where we look for it, right? It's an expression of our fallen nature when we look for fulfillment in such unsatisfying things. 
insert some C.S. Lewis quote, right? <laughs> Everyone in this room has a hunger in their souls that you are seeking to satisfy every minute of the day, and that's not bad. God made you that way, but he created you to be satisfied completely in him. And Jesus is the one who satisfies in abundance. Jesus can feed your starving soul until you can't eat anymore. He's promised that those who hunger will be satisfied. And in that remote place here, when everyone was hungry, and there are no means of provision, every single person who looked to Jesus for help was able to eat until they were fully satisfied. That's the hope for us. That's the hope for us, that we can come to Jesus with our seemingly insurmountable needs. Insurmountable, is that the word I'm looking for? Such big needs. (laughs) We can come to him and we can find the satisfaction completely. He fills us. Do you want that? Or do you want to continue to be thirsty? Do you want to continue to be hungry? Come to Jesus.